0: Hello and welcome to this special podcast of the Lotus Eaters. I'm your host, Harry. And today I'm very happy to say that I'm joined by Chloe, a horror critic and film analyst who presents on her own YouTube channel called Proper Horror Show. And today we're going to be talking about the history of British film censorship, mainly focused around looking at the BBFC and how it's developed and how we've gone from a censorship regime that many these days would classify as being far too strict back when it was originally enacted to one that some might argue is far too lax and lenient. Just to start this off with a minor anecdote, I just posted about this on Twitter earlier, to show how lax and lenient film classification rules are these days, and this is gonna tie this interview down to a particular time period. I've recently seen some reports in the Independent and other news publications talking about a new film that's coming out by the director of, um, what's it called, The Lobster? if you've ever seen that, the the Greek filmmaker. The Greek chap, yeah. Yes, it's Mm. a film called Poor Things, and I felt the need to make people aware of this, because looking at an independent article describing the plot of it, it's following Emma Stone, who's playing a reanimated corpse, who has been reanimated because a mad scientist Mm. took the brain of her unborn child and put it in her body, reanimated the corpse that way, and you follow Emma Stone's character, who is child, in a, a grown woman's body discovering okay. sex and quote effing her way across the european seaboard and it's being praised from the high heavens by film critics as being a daring brave film that has some of the most explicit and bravest sex scenes that emma stone could ever have chosen to participate in outside mm-hmm. of just hardcore pornography by the sounds of it so the fact that a film like that was such daring and say, I dare I say pedophilic themes as that because it definitely seems to be a reverse engineer of consent kind of film of like well if she's in the female uh, a grown woman's body even though it's the mind of a child well then she can still consent therefore it's okay seems very strange especially considering how much of the other current thing going on these days mm-hmm. seems to be pushing towards um, some rather unsavory ideas uh, so that Surprise! Like that would never have been just on a purely thematic level, outside of the sexual content of the film, would never have been allowed in the nineteen eighties. Even probably the 90, Well, maybe *Caligula* and other films kind of pushed that <laughs> boundary. But in the nineteen seventies and nineteen sixties, that would never have been allowed, just on the pure moral level. So, how did we get from there to here?
1: That is a great question, and. I think I got really interested in the BBFC because the answer to that kind of question tells you a lot about how power works in society, how a lot of things have changed in society. So that, uh, was it called Poor Things?
0: Poor Things is the new film. I think it's coming out in January in the UK. In America, it's coming out a little bit sooner.
1: Yeah, this is, it sounds like something that's come in kind of a cycle, basically. There was a very similar scandal to that. Uh, in fact, there have been loads of similar scandals to that, uh, but the closest thing would probably be from 1978, a film called Pretty Baby, that you... I have not
0: heard of that.
1: All right. Uh, okay, so that's coming out uh, from a director, uh, I want to say Malé, but fact-check me, um, and that concerned a 12-year-old who was being moved into, how do you want me to say it, uh, selling a service which is not <laughs> how do you, how do you YouTube? Uh,
0: well, we don't necessarily need to put this mm. on YouTube, so uh, child prostitution let's basically, just, let's just yeah. say that it's a pretty horrible thing to have to say out loud, but if that's what it's about, it's, it's thank grim. you, 1970s filmmakers, you pushed so many boundaries,
1: yeah. So that stars a 12 year old Brooke Shields who's been brought into a child prostitution uh business and. <laughs> Under the tenure of James Furman, who was running the BBFC for uh, twenty-four years up until uh, nineteen ninety-nine, when uh, the Prime Minister at the time asked him, may may have moved him out of position. Hard to say. Um,
0: And that would be one Anthony Blair, correct? I
1: think that might be the one. Yes, that might have been the chap. Yes. Um, James Furman had an approach that was quite typical. He recognised that a lot of the content in that was. Definitely not okay. It was very, on the face of it, a breach of the law. So the two kind of things you're legally worried about are a common law, gross indecency thing, because we're talking about, you know, uh, naked children in a sexual context, um, or the obscene, or being charged under the Obscene Publications Act. So gross indecency or obscenity, that's the kind of thing you're worried about. And showing child nudity in that context, like a couple of full-on new scenes, again, 12-year-old girl. Well,
0: obviously, Taxi Driver from 1975 oh, yeah. came yeah. earlier and dealt with some similar themes to Jodie Foster's character, mm. but by the sounds of it, what you're describing didn't go anywhere near as far in what it actually showed on screen.
1: No, no. Uh, Taxi Driver, they had a couple of scenes that were cut just to avoid going over the line. Uh,
0: and I, I believe any scenes that they did film were done with Foster's older sister as well, That's correct. from what I'm aware.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Pretty Baby goes a lot further in just sort of three years, right? And so, what happens with this film, which, yeah, you should definitely not be allowed to put out on the face of it. You should not be able to show this. Um, Furman takes a look at it and he says, Well, we've got to consider the merit. Such merit in a film justifies taking a, a sort of more holistic look. This isn't just a cheap piece of trash. This is a serious artistic endeavor, and therefore, material which normally is blatantly illegal—you uh, know considering in the artistic context is is actually fine. You know, it's it's borderline, but we would give advice that it shouldn't be prosecuted. And so it rolls out. But kind of the trick is, and we could do this for any area of content. It's it sort of it's most easy to talk about in the realm of um, sex and nudity is you will have a film that has artistic merit and therefore it's granted much greater license. And so it maybe has more trouble getting through than something else, but it's allowed. And then a few years later, another film comes along that's a much more, say, maybe a cash-in thing, sees that Pretty Baby did well and says, oh, we'll try and make a film like that doesn't have that serious artistic endeavour, if you'll even grant that excuse. And uh, it then cites the previous film as evidence that this stuff is okay. It's the ratchet being moved forward.
0: Yes, and with Mm. the ratchet effect, on the obscenity laws in the UK, the standard that you're talking about there that was set that you have to look at a piece holistically, I believe Hitchens talks about it in the abolition of Britain, was established Mm. by the Lady Chatterley's lover, court case, which was 1962, I think, D. H. Mm. Lawrence's book, Lady Chatterley's Lover, had been banned because of obscenity laws, and it was a favourite, it seems, of some of the aristocratic and political class, Mm. and they wanted to make sure that they would be able to, even though they already had access to the book because they can get it through channels that that normal people can't access, they decide, Mm. well, we want the public to be able to access this as well, so they put up a um, a legal challenge against it. I think it was Penguin Books that put the legal challenge against mm-hmm. it. And the establishment did not bust up too much of a fight against that. Mm-hmm. And that previously, the obscenity law standard had been that if it had a single passage, or I assume as in films, a single scene mm-hmm. that crossed the line, then the entire thing would have to be scrapped, or that passage or scene would have to be cut out of the film or book. Mm-hmm. This established that looking at it in a holistic sense. And mm-hmm. when you start to do that, yes, I think that you can have fantastic artistic pieces that explore interesting subjects that wouldn't have been allowed previously, but you need to look at the incentives that such a thing establishes. Because what I find, if you think the cause and effect through logically, it's that what sells? Salaciousness sells, shock value sells. Mm. And the more you're exposed to something that's shocking and salacious, the more you're desensitized to it. So there's the constant incentive to ratchet things along and also the incentive mm-hmm. to be able to point towards perhaps more artistically justifiable examples from the past and make things more and more shocking, more and more violent, more and more sexual, more and more pedophilic in some cases, what we're seeing these days and say, well, that's fine because you need to look at the holistic artistic experience of it. And also everybody's so used to it by now that they don't find it as shocking. Like. To take a film even as fun and silly as, um, you know, Hot Foots. That's huh? got some pretty gruesome violence in it at points. Mm. A man's head is exploded by a falling church spire. That was rated... Only a journalist. Only a journalist. So the humanity is questionable. But still, that would have not have been even probably allowed at all in the 1960s. Whereas when it came out <laughs> in 2007, because of the tone of it, mm-hmm. it was a 15, which is yeah. quite remarkable.
1: Yeah, I mean the BBFC has shown a sort of impressive amount of flexibility when it came to tone. Uh, are you familiar with Braindead from Peter Jackson?
0: Yeah, that's pre-Lord of the Rings Peter Jackson. It isn't is. it? I've not watched it, but I'm aware of it.
1: Uh yes. It's basically record breaking for the amount of blood. They're used in a film culminating in a frankly spectacular massacre by a by lawnmower. Uh, it's it's quite a sight. Um but it's also obviously not taking itself seriously and the bbsc were going to pass that with a 15 because they just said look this is obviously a joke um but they were sort of persuaded to go with an 18. um you highlighted the sort of aspect of desensitization i think that is so key in sort of explaining how we get here how we get from uh in the 1920s bannock sorry, not banning, uh, refusing to issue a well, certificate. Sh-
0: sh- should we explain how the BBFC works, especially oh, for our American viewers? We should. That's
1: super important. Yeah, yes. that's, that's
0: like the I key was, thing. You recommended me to look at the BBFC's website, and mm. they've got a timeline of their history going from the 1920s yeah. to today. I was mm. surprised to find that they're technically not a part of the government. Technically, they no, are. No. they are an independent, non-governmental body And those, Mm. as we find out day in, day out, tend to be some of the most powerful organisations in the world.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, we don't ban films, right? This is Britain. We're a liberal democracy. We wouldn't do that. That's um, authoritarian, right? Why would we wouldn't want to ban any movies? However,
0: this (laughs) non-governmental body has recommended that we do not classify this film, which means that most councils won't show it in their constituency.
1: Nailed it, nailed it. Uh, For anyone who finds that extremely confusing, the process is that we do not ban a film. However, um, skipping a load of how this was set up, um, the BBFC is in charge of issuing a certificate to a film, which indicates the kind of content that's in it. And the certificates have changed over the year, but they're meant to give you an idea of how extreme it is. And material that's far too extreme. would not uh, be included, Uh, the BBSA would say, you have to cut this out if we're going to give you a certificate. And if a filmmaker doesn't want to, then no certificate for you. You can still show it uh, or you can exhibit it in a private members club. That's absolutely fine. Your film isn't banned. But to get the business license to run a cinema, you need permission of the local council. The local council will refuse to uh, allow you to have that business license if you exhibit films that do not have a certificate. Or if the council itself has overridden the decision of the BBFC, basically it is drowning in bureaucracy, but if they don't want your film to come out, it doesn't come out. But um, overall, I'd I'd say, It's almost a misnomer. I feel like we end up playing into some of the um, mythology the BBSC likes to tell about itself, where it likes to give the impression that it's a far more censorious organisation than it actually is.
0: Well, yeah, you've got this book here, which I've not not read. We're very smart at the Lotus Eaters. We read books. (laughs) That's correct. Or at least we certainly like to give the impression that we do. Yes, yes. you said when you described that to me before we started that you need to take quite a lot of it with a hefty pinch of salt
1: yes definitely definitely that is a collection of essays by uh, mostly academics or people involved with the industry talking about certain aspects of the bbfc's history um and it comes with a lot of bias you can imagine sort of an academic has a a typical perception and they're mostly writing about the bbfc as some kind of extremely conservative buddy duddy organization and yet this is uh as i was leading into this is a an organization that originally started off saying that snow white was too extreme can't yes. be showing that and now we're in the realm of, well i was going to give a human centipede part two or a serbian film as my example but poor things sounds like that needs to be my new example for how on earth is this allowed
0: Yes, how on earth is it allowed? And also, Mm. why do all of the establishment critics give it 100% and say it's the best film that's ever been made and we should give all of the awards to this? Mm. Perhaps it's um, appealing to some of their sentiments and preferences that they can only express through more artistic means, (laughs) perhaps, because you can just throw the artistic veneer over it and say, well, now it's got artistic merit. Perfectly fine. Yeah, I was really surprised to find that in the 1930s, I think that's when Snow White originally came Mm. out, that they said that if you wanted to show it in the UK, it had to have some cuts made to it. Do you Indeed. know what cuts they asked for?
1: Uh, ooh, off the top of my head, no. I, I think it's some of the transformation scenes. The BBSC was very sensitive to the idea of how things would affect children. Mm. Um, so they tended to, be, tended to be cautious on that. But um, in the early days, right back in the 1930s, there were only two certificates. And there was the uh, that is the U universal or A for adult advisory, uh, however you want to say it. And the operating assumption was still that any film shown should be open to anybody, but films with an A are probably just more adult orientated and not going to be entertaining for children. But they wouldn't really scar them. And then they were letting so much through that the the public was a bit upset with this. So this idea that the BBSC is stodgy, conservative, buddy duddies too restrictive, um, it's already kind of problematized by the idea of the public is constantly saying, you're letting some pretty harsh stuff through. So it's, um, it's uh, 1931, 1932, when they take the first step of introducing a new certificate, the H for horrific. To mm. say, just so you know, guys, this is probably going to be a bit scary. Just so you know.
0: I think from what I mm. read, that was mainly put on horror films like Frankenstein when yeah, that yeah. came out in the early 30s.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: Because um, I, I think they also, for British markets, they had to cut out the scene where Frankenstein's monster drowns a little girl. Yes. Which that... could be quite upsetting for both parents and children to watch in the cinema even back then. Even, even now today, the mm. concept of that scene is quite horrifying to think about
1: yeah yeah totally um there was also a, a bit that they cut for blasphemy in that if you can imagine um yeah you
0: certainly wouldn't guess anything like that these days no
1: it's a it's a lie, it the famous line well, actually uh, I,
0: I could imagine some oh. blasphemies being censored by the british establishment <laughs> but they wouldn't be blasphemies against christianity sorry carry on
1: no no it's absolutely fine i mean you you, you you've done your research you're ahead of the game here but. Uh, yeah it's um the line is something in in the famous scene where the it's alive it's alive uh by god i tell you it's alive and there was a originally another bit with uh some the line is something like no i am a god and they were no that's going
0: (laughs) yeah they certainly that that wouldn't even Mm. nobody would bat an eyelid at such a thing these days
1: but but still it would take um 20 years from then until they gave you the first certificate that said Efficiently, effectively, you cannot come into this film below a certain age. So that's an X certificate which comes in in the 1950s. But before that, they were still operating on this idea that everything should be suitable for the general public. Because, just I think, because of that idea of standards, really, of what is okay to show.
0: Well, I think we also have to cast our minds back to that time. None of us were alive in that mm. time, but we can recognize through writings and understanding of the attitudes that being a much more religious or even if less religious a much more uh, studious country with the standards that we held ourselves to and especially because i don't think the market for films would have been anywhere near as internationally available as it is today please correct me if i'm wrong on that i know we probably would have had a lot of american (laughs) films coming through correct um but it's still there still would have been a lot of focus on the independent british filmmaking scene i'd imagine
1: Much more at the time, although uh, one of the big things that that put pressure on British cinemas constantly is the foreign import. Um, Chiefly, we've had an American problem in terms of violence, uh, but we've also had quite a French and a Swedish problem in terms of sex and nudity.
0: Swedish, I'm surprised by. France, not in the slightest. (laughs) No, no, really? What sort of (laughs) Swedish films were coming through?
1: Oh, it's. The, the Swedish films bit is brilliant. I absolutely love it. So um, I have a second book here. This is uh, What the Censor Saw, which is the memoirs of uh, a very influential secretary of the BBFC called John Trevelyan. Um, he caused quite a few problems for the Bond movies. Mm. He did insist on some cuts for them to the point that uh, I think it's Goldeneye, the villain is named Trevelyan. <laughs>
0: and that's after him. That's, that's interesting. From what I read, mm. Trevelyan himself came in and... Somewhat liberalized some of the attitudes Mm. because the BBFC makes a big play, a big point in the 1950s when it's talking about that. About Trevelyan came in and he was reflective of the liberal attitudes going through the public at the time. And that's something that you'll notice if you look through all of the BBFC's website about their own history. They will preface any sweeping change that was made to the way that they censored films or the way that they looked at classifications as being public sentiment at the time this was inevitable it was mm-hmm. inevitable because there was a big public swell of desire for us to uh, lower our standards to make things a bit more lax whereas if you actually look at attitudes when you read somebody like peter hitchens talk about it oftentimes the establishment was far ahead of the public in wanting to lower the standards to make everything a little bit more lax for instance i, I mentioned before we started recording in abolition of Liberties, talking about drugs and he talks about the big case where the Rolling Stones members Mick Jagger and Keith Richards were sent to prison for drugs possession. It was Jacob Rees-Mogg's dad, what's his name? William, William Rees- Rees-Mogg. William yeah. Rees-Mogg. It was his campaign for a headline of the Times, try and get that sentence reduced, that ended up getting the sentence reduced. Whereas a survey that was done at the time found that British teenagers, the sorts of audience that the Rolling Stones were going for, uh, were saying that not only was his sentence justified, most of them were saying that Mick Jagger's sentence in particular should have been harsher. So the public attitudes, as we can see these days, when you look at opinion surveys between Mm. the voting bloc, their attitudes being far more socially conservative than the attitudes of the politicians, the establishment is always far more liberal, at least in the post-war period. Mm. And then they go back and try and rewrite their own history, say it was because of this imaginary public feeling that we had to liberalise things. Um, they, they sort of operate on the logic of, well, we wouldn't have changed things if the public didn't want us to. So the fact that we did change things shows that they must have wanted us to. It's an interesting calculation. Yeah, and that the public
1: didn't kick off too much. So, you know, they're fine with it. I mean, there may have been an organisation or two with tens of thousands of members who uh, did sustained legal protests. But who cares about them? That's Which organisations the were they? I'm thinking of the uh, Mary Whitehouse's National Viewers and Listeners Association, the Festival of Light, is another one that gets villainized in the BBFC book. But that's not public attitudes. They're cranks, Harry. They're no, cranks. of they course.
0: Overwhelming public opinion is actually just demonstration of the mm. reser- reactionary conservative forces that were trying to hold back progress, <laughs> inevitably. But... Yeah... <sighs>
1: It's a really great example of how I said, like, understanding the BBFC lets you understand more of Britain. So that exact phenomenon around public opinion is there. Um, By the time of Trevelyan, the defence for censorship has moved away from saying we have firm moral standards, which is there in the earliest days uh, when the BBFC is led by a wonderful man by the name of Thomas Power O'Connor. Power as a middle name. Yeah? Not bad. Yeah, I know. It, he's, he's a um a very powerful figure, very firm figure. He went into parliament when they were concerned like you're not doing anything. he turned up every year with just a list of things he'd banned films for, which is uh, where you get the uh, you, you may see it referred to as o, uh, o'connor's 43
0: uh, yes they reference that on the website and they have a yeah. list of it. One of the ones that was really surprised by was that they weren't to refer to anything regarding, uh, one, the destruction of races, mm-hmm. and two, white slavery, which was remarkable to me, just going back to then to recognise mm-hmm. that, yes, white slavery did exist and was still going on in some parts of the world.
1: Mm. Oh, yeah. They were concerned about it, uh, insulting the king's uniform. Uh, basically, anything that would be uh, you know, trying to attack the reputation of Britain, that would, uh, they refused to allow films for that
0: to um, denounce the positive effects of the empire as well yeah, as one yeah, of the totally. other ones you had to if you were mentioning the empire it had to be in a positive way mm. because we have standards that we want to uphold we want to uh, inculcate our children into a positive way of viewing their nation mm. their personhood because they are a part of a people all very reflective of completely different times when the british had a lot more of a, a, a much stronger identity for who they were you couldn't just have mm. a piece of paper that said you were british you came from a strong distinct culture.
1: Exactly. And I think when that idea is there, when the attitude is just so widespread, so um, supported by the elite, that you can just say clearly, we don't allow this in Britain. And that was a justification. Uh, so the, the O'Connor's 43 that is the best known is from the, I want to say, 1913 or 1916 presentation. But he did it every year, just turning up, just reminding them, we didn't allow this, we banned this for this reason, et cetera. Um, And he did that all the time. But you get to Trevelyan in the 50s onwards, and the justification becomes uh, more scientific. He leans on consulting psychiatrists a lot to get expert opinions. And
0: psychiatrists can't have their own personal opinions or political (laughs) motives. They have to be... They must be Mm. completely neutral actors, or they wouldn't be psychiatrists. Oh, precisely. There's that circular logic again.
1: It's it's all reputable, Um, and then you move off that by uh, the onto a different justification. By the time you're in the uh, the sort of post uh, Dark Lord Anthony Blair era, where the justification now goes onto censoring very different types of things, and you're doing it on the basis of public opinion. Um, but yes, that's
0: a... because the public wouldn't want particular ideas and attitudes mm. put in their films, despite the fact that these attitudes that are in the films are probably far more reflective of public opinion than what's allowed to be said. Yeah, one of Trevelyan's mm. speeches is quoted in 1957, I think it is, on the mm. website, where he just out and right says, it's not our job to police moral opinion for the public, it's not our job to set standards and I just thought to myself, reading that, okay, what is your job? That bent? is
1: literally your job. That's,
0: that's literally what this organisation was founded to do. That's what you have been doing, and you still, and even despite the fact that he said yeah. that, like you said, he still seemed to have a much firmer hand than those who came after him. Despite the fact he was far more yeah. liberal than those who'd come before.
1: Actually, can I Reddit you? Can I can I get Absolutely. a Reddit? They weren't actually founded to censor films. Oh, Which they were is,
0: founded for uh, protecting um, health and safety because of how flammable it. film stock was. That's
1: exactly it. Yeah, for any inglorious Bastards fans, yes, <laughs> uh, you will remember about how flammable film stock was, how much you don't... I mean, there were actual dangers. We had a, a number of major fires uh, from the early that's days one of, of cinema. That's
0: the that a lot of BBC's old television shows are completely lost the time, isn't it? Because they had a massive fire in their storage Yeah, facilities. they had a few
1: of them. Yeah, um, we lost a lot more when uh, the... The BBSC offices got bombed in the second world war oh, uh, so sense. we lost a lot of uh, notes from that unfortunately um but yeah that initial reason was about making sure the somewhat shodly, hastily thrown together informal cinemas which weren't even cinemas though just sort of cram everyone in a long haul uh put your projector at the back usually only one exit people crammed in as tight as you can and we'll have highly flammable film stock which we're uh, illuminating via burning lime, if you've heard of the limelight.
0: That's he- where that comes from.
1: Yeah. So, you know, a couple of horrible incidents uh, with many people burning to death later. They, uh, they found the BBSE in 1909. But just noticing that starts off with an argument for, um, you know, public safety. And it's only a couple of years later that they start saying, hey, we're not so worried about the content of the film in a chemical sense we're worried about what's being shown in the films. So that idea of how an organization expands its remit and expands its remit over and over again, I mean, at this point, the BBSC has to uh, actually rate basically everything. Yes. Uh, so HR be... films, um, video games. Yeah. I think video they, games, there, there, yeah. There
0: used to be a different classification organization, I think in the UK, for video game ratings because they didn't have the bbfc ones there was a more specific one where it was 16 plus 8 plus Mm. those kinds of rankings but now it is all classified under the bbfc and what they're and what they do it's um, you know um 12 15 18 years old so you're right they've given themselves remit to classify everything and anything i think they also Mm have remit over streaming services that operate in the uk as well they always yeah. qualify all of this on the website by saying we're they're, they're under no obligation <laughs> no. to follow our rules or go with our classification but obviously there is the mm-hmm. implication there that but if they don't the government's probably not going to allow them to operate here anyway yeah i
1: mean in re- i i was really surprised by this you've you've looked at ofcom recently haven't you
0: i have been looking into ofcom sadly there are heinous organization yeah
1: well they've been winning out my money was on the bbfc to sort of win the battle over who controls all the streaming after um, the
0: um online safety bill as well I'd yeah imagine.
1: yeah but it looks like ofcom is winning that out so the bbfc is going to be sort of pushed back into a, a smaller role unfortunate well unfortunately depends
0: but, on both of you. them seem to be rather malignant mm. organizations that o- ofcom mm. especially as well just because of the fact that ofcom has Such a grip over the types of content that is produced in the UK. Like, there's parts of the 2003 Communications Act that forces, well, Mm -hmm. that gives Ofcom the ability to set racial quotas for organizations that Mm -hmm. create media in the UK and the sorts of content that they produce in the UK. I think, as part of one of the bills, I can't think of it off the top of my head, it might be the Communications Act, gives them remit to um set racial quotas for the types of stories told and the types of people Mm. creating the stories as well so a lot of the diversification of television and our history that we see like Mm. doctor who saying um oh uh, history is a whitewash because they decided to put a load of black people in the background in victorian Mm. london in 2016 that's not just because people like Stephen Moffat are insane ideological leftists although that's obviously a big part of it as well that's because legally speaking if they don't do things like that ofcom will bring the ban hammer down on them very quickly and levy legal attacks and fines on them
1: yeah very very much so
0: to watch the full video please become a premium member at lotus